0: We come to a, a rare section in the book of James as we continue our series, uh, Listen and, and Live, looking at the book of James. And it's a rare passage because we're, we're only looking at two verses, and in those two consecutive verses there is no uh, command, no imperative. You, you remember that almost every other verse in James has a command. But this passage doesn't. We're in James 1, 17 and 18, and it's very focused on God. That's why there is no command. It's a passage about who God is and what he does more so than who we are and what we are supposed to do. Yet, James spends this time here talking about God because... It has implications for you and I, especially in how we can find hope and strength and whatever it is that we need to endure, to persevere. Right after this passage, James will go into that probably well-known to most of you uh, section about being not only a hearer, but a doer of the word. But he's just talked before this about how we are tempted to sin and God is not responsible for that. We make our own choices and head off into sin. And so in between those two uh, challenging truths, the focus here is on God. And James again speaks, as he did back in chapter 1, verse 5, about God being a God who gives. But here the focus is on God's giving nature, not as a basis for us to ask For say, wisdom or something, but as a basis for us to carry on and even change in profound and very good ways. How and and why we do that, that's going to be our focus today. So uh, if you would please read with me James chapter 1, verses 17 and 18. James 1, 17. Every good thing given. And every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. In the exercise of his will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, so that we would be a kind of first fruits among his creatures. This is God's word. Uh, Father, would You meet us here, lift us up, encourage us, strengthen us, lead us forward in greater endurance and perseverance by the power of Your Spirit, working with Your Word in our hearts, we pray in Jesus' name, Amen. The, uh, the true quality of a, of a precious diamond, even, even larger, many carat diamonds, shines through only as a jeweler holds it up to something that's a very dark background. You, you see the, the beauty of it that much more of a clear object a perfect, flawless object, as you hold it up against something very dark. Uh, That's much the same as what James is doing here in our passage as he holds up God's goodness against that dark backdrop that he talked about as we saw last week in verses 12 through 16 of our, our tendency to badness contrasts very profoundly with God's exceeding goodness. That God is good. And we are tempted to sin and we veer off to the path to death. God is without temptation and only brings life. And as, as James would prepare us to be doers and not merely hearers, He focuses here on God. Puts God on display against that dark backdrop of our sin and our brokenness. Contrasting God and us implicitly not to shame us or beat us down, but in fact to lift us up. To inspire us and motivate us. Because James says, the source of all that is good is God and God alone. The source of all that is good is God and God alone. He is, He's absolute in his language. Do you see what he said in verse 17? Every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above. The source of all that is good. All that is good is God. God. Now we know that, and chances are if you're here today, most likely I'm looking at people here who who know that. We know that God is good. The problem becomes, and it's the same with people James was writing to, they knew God was good, yet then, what? Struggles come, trials come, temptations present themselves to us, and we maybe even fail. We fall short, or we don't even try in the midst of those struggles, we, we begin to wonder: Did God change? Is He not who I thought He was? Why is this happening to me? What is going on? How can I go on? How can I do anything that's good? And maybe we even begin to feel like we are merely just that dark background so that God can shine and we are just not good. That maybe even it feels like the flip side of, of what I was talking about last week where we had a friend who told us, you know, God is giving you a lot of opportunities to trust him. You know, that, that aspect, the flip side of it, maybe, maybe we feel like God is getting lots of opportunity to look good in contrast to what we're doing. You know, the one of those is from a well-meaning friend calling us to God's goodness. The other one is something else entirely, and it tends to come from our heart or from Satan himself that would attempt to diminish our value, diminish your worth, discourage you from carrying on, lead you uh, into greater temptation and giving in that that you might self-medicate that you might seek to numb yourself, that you might continue to hold on to things that God would have you let go of. Continue to just do whatever is possible to keep you from growing, keep you from changing, keep you from something greater which is in fact what God would have for you, because it is very true that our, our, our dark deeds, our brokenness and sin provide a background to see just how wonderful and glorious and good God is, but we are more than just that background. We might not be the hope diamond resplendent in all of its glory, but we're not cubic zirconia, a false imitation. We are valuable. A diamond. We need polishing. We have flaws. But God, God is giving you beauty and making you beautiful and giving you the ability to do good. Because God is good and he does good. Because the source of all that is good is God and God alone, and he's only giving what is good. What does God give? He gives what is good. And so as we look at this passage today, that, that is our focus first of all, that God is good. That's who he is, and we'll talk about then what he does for you after that. But first, set the stage for what He does for you by looking at who God is. God is good. Uh, The passage puts it implicitly here that He is light. Look at verse 17. All these good things come down from the Father of lights. Just pause there for a second. We kind of talk about God that way, but I don't know how often we think about it. That God is above us, that things come down from him just think about that for a moment that, that idea of things from god coming down the language that paul uses in first timothy that verse uh, 17 of chapter 1 that god is over all first timothy 6:16 6, that god dwells in unapproachable light the only immortal invisible god he's unapproachable you know just consider that for a moment, what that means. That God is, is higher. God is holier. God, God is above all things. He, he's, he's not just, you know, like maybe as a kid we thought of, up there above the clouds and stuff, right? He's not just outside past Mars, you know, out further out in the galaxy. He is outside of all the galaxies and all of the universes. He is outside of space and outside of time. These are things that He created. That's that's how big He is. He is outside of all of those things. One of the best pictures for that here is, is this idea that He is light. He's the one who made light. You read Genesis 1, the first few verses there, did you ever notice that it says in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth and and God said, Let there be light. And there was light. And the light was good. Verses one verses three through five of Genesis 1. He doesn't create the sun until several verses later, in verses 16 through 18. God, God made light as one of the very first things, because it is such a good picture, I think, of of who he is. You know, next time you're at the eye doctor and they're doing that test, which I, I don't remember if it's glaucoma or, or one of them, but like They put you in that contraption, you put your chin there after they wipe it all down now, right? And everything. You put your forehead there, and then they they, they shine that laser beam right into your brain stem. Are you familiar with that one? And they're like, oh, just hold your eyes open, look straight ahead, and you're like, "I I can't. And your eyes are just tearing up, and it's just so bright. You can't even endure it for a few seconds. I can't. I'm like, give me the tissues. I'm like, oh. And, and they dilate your eyes before that, so it's even harder, right? Your eyes are wide open. That is the beginning of how you ought to think about approaching God, that he is that bright. He is, he is even brighter in terms of holiness. That he is, he is light. He's overwhelming. He's overwhelming. We cannot even look at him. So what is that? What, what happens then, right? So we don't look up, right? We look this way, and we do the opposite. It's like, boy, well, I can sure see that they're falling short here, and they're falling short there. I, I'm thankfully I'm better than them, right? And we begin to just kind of have this, this horizontal perspective. Because we know God is light. It's even in our heart. This idea that He has made us for more and that He is perfect, that He is holy. And he's not only light, The flip side is emphasized throughout Scriptures, but especially here in our passage. He is light and He tolerates no darkness. Verse 17, He doesn't have darkness. He will never have any darkness. Verse 17, with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. There's there's no darkness. 1 John 1.5 says, this is the message we have heard from Him and announced to you that God is light and in Him there is no darkness at all. There's no time, past, present, or future when God will permit darkness to penetrate into His perfect light. He is always pushing back darkness. If the light and the dark come together, the light always wins. Especially when that light is the God of the universe. Even obstacles and barriers are obliterated. That is who God is. There are no nooks and crannies anywhere in God's character that would hide some of the light and allow any darkness, like the Thomas' English muffin with the melted butter. Little illusion there. I love those. Not as much as apple cobbler. Ah, uh, the only good thing, if you think about it, the only really good thing about darkness, is that it hides things. Do you realize that in heaven, as the Bible presents it, there will be no darkness. And there will be no sun. Revelation tells us, for the Lord God Himself will be our light and Jesus will be the lamp. I don't understand what that means exactly. What is that going to look like? But if you experience that seasonal affective disorder where when it's, the days get shorter, it's harder for you, and, and, and every one of us has that to a sense, you know? Imagine that, 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 and we will have 24 hours of, of vitamin D. Spiritually and maybe physically, somehow, we will have resurrected bodies. And I don't know how that's all going to come together exactly, but that's going to be light. There's going to be no darkness, there's going to be no place for anything to hide. You're not going to walk into a room and not be able to see. You're going to see. And that's how God already is. There is nothing that is dark, hidden. He has nothing to hide. But as John tells us in John 3, 19-21, this is the judgment that light has come into the world and men loved darkness rather than the light for their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light, does not come to the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But he who practices the truth comes to the light so that his deeds may be manifested as having been wrought in God. Just think about what he's saying there. <clears throat> that we love darkness better than light because we want to hide darkness. Our deeds. And it is, it is, in my experience, true, and I think most likely you will agree that the greatest temptations to sin happen in the dark. You, by nature, want to close the blinds when you're going to do that wrong thing. Or to go away and hide somewhere, and it might be just metaphorically where you take your phone and you're kind of tilting it away Whatever it might be. And sometimes it's very often literally in the night hours when those temptations are stronger in so many ways. That, that we by nature love the darkness because the light exposes who we are. And we, we don't like that. It is painful, as painful as that eye doctor test just shining right in our eyes. And so we try to hide. We look away. You know, God is 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 over there and we're just like, no, He's gonna call on me, like the teacher, right? And you're just kinda like not making eye contact. When you haven't done your homework and you're just kinda like, hmm pretending you're absorbed in something, or you're riding on the subway and you don't, you know, it's like you're you're on your phone and you're like, oh man, that person's gonna sit next to me, aren't they? Oh, oh, you know, and you try not to make eye contact. This is the way we are with God. By nature. And that very often leads us into into deeper and more profound problems. Because we believe since we see God as so holy, since we know we can't approach Him, we conclude that He wants nothing to do with us. And if you've had an abusive background, if, if you've had significant problems in your life, If you failed, you begin to think it's not possible that someone like that would want anything to do with someone like me. And uh, from a certain perspective, that, that is partially true. And a lot of times we use that to protect our pride. We use that to protect our pet sins uh, or, or to hide. Because approaching near to God requires us to be open. In fact, it, it compels us that we will be open because His light will penetrate through everything. Hebrews 4 puts it that way. We are naked and exposed before him. He sees it anyway. That's part of the reality of what this means, is that he sees it anyway. He already knows that you really can't hide anything from God. You could shut the blinds. You could turn your phone away. You could even hold your phone like this, you know, because God can't see it that way, right? You could, you could have a secret bank account. You could stop by certain places. God sees it. You're only fooling yourself and perhaps some people in your life. But God sees it anyway. And so as we come to this, we say, well, this, if this is who God is, if this is who God is, if, if God is light, what's my hope? And the hope is that as you look at God, you not only look at who He is, but you look at what He does for you. What does God do for you? God gives goodness. Do you realize that? God gives not just what is good. He gives goodness. He is good, and He gives goodness. There's, it's so the, the language of verse 17, where it's speaking about... Uh, every good and perfect gift like it's it's there's a redundancy to it in the language the meanings so much overlap that it's it's communicating this this sense of giving good even either the gift or the act of the giving all of that coming together that god gives goodness and We see that in this passage explicitly and clearly in verse 18 as God gives new birth. Look at verse 18. In the exercise of His will, He brought us forth. You know, that language of He brought us forth is the language of childbirth. It appears in verse 15 of chapter 1 where James is talking about how our our temptation and our our desires lead us astray and they conceive and they give birth, they bring forth death. So giving birth is a different word there, but then the bringing forth death is the same word as we have here as God brings forth us into life. That this sense of new birth that God gives. You can see it in the pronouns, verse 18. In the exercise of... His will, He brought us forth by the word of truth, so we would be a kind of first fruits among His creatures. Notice the decision-making. It's the exercise of His free will. It's the exercise of His will brought us forth. On top of that, look at the motion, right? It is God who is coming down. All the gifts are coming down from the Father of lights. And in fact, think about that, the title, that He is the Father all this language coming together to speak of of, of a new birth, of, of a transformation, of a new life being brought forth. One commentator put it this way to emphasize that this is God giving this new birth, this goodness. Birth is something that happens to a child as a result of decisions and actions made by others. The parents. This, this echoes, as, as uh, James does so often, this echoes Jesus. It, it echoes John chapter 3 very strongly. As Jesus is interacting with Nicodemus, he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus is like, well, how can you be born again? Do you climb back into your mother's womb and be born again? Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. You must be born again. And Jesus says, the wind blows where it wishes in that same passage, and you hear the sound of it but don't know where it comes from and where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. That this, this new birth is driven as the Spirit brings it about. That, that you don't see the work of the Spirit beyond the effects of the Spirit. That it is God giving this good gift. Echoing and complimenting the truth in Ephesians 2, right? That we were dead in trespasses and sins, but God, who is rich in mercy because of His great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together. You know, no one of these... Uh, Metaphors is complete, right? The the Bible is straining at describing what God does. The God who is light and holy and above and mighty and unapproachable, all that God, what does He do that then makes it possible that our hearts change? that our character is different, that we begin to do what is pleasing in his sight, though we had been tempted and led astray, though we chose poorly and decided to sin. God decides to bring us forth. We decide for death, God decides for life. And he draws near and approaches us in terms of a new relationship that the new birth is a complement to what the Old Testament described as the new covenant. We read Jeremiah 31 during the service earlier. The truth of it is in verse 18 of James chapter 1. The new covenant appears here as you look at what's going on relationally. Verse 18 says, In the exercise of his will he... This is God's will. He, God, brought us forth by the word of truth so that we would be a kind of first fruits among his creatures. Again, there's another image, right? That, that now we're, we're not just born again. We're not just dead and brought to life. Now, now we're a part of, of a harvest, part of, of a field, part of a growing crop that is offered up first, that is dedicated first, before the rest of it is used, that God would say, you are the first part. You are the part that is set aside to God. You are that part. And it happens by the word of truth. This is something that we... The, the people from the outside, when they hear us speak about God giving new birth, and, and you get into the, in the idea and the topics of predestination and election and all that, of the, you begin to think, well, then we're just robots, right? We have no choice, there's no activity on our part, God just zaps us or something, right? He says, by the word of truth, and if you look at the promises of the new covenant, that essentially what's going on is that God works that God moves like the wind, that God opens hearts, or as Ezekiel 36 speaks of it, that God takes us from the nations and gathers us and brings us, sprinkles us with clean water, cleanses us from filthiness and from our idols, and gives us a new heart and a new spirit, removing the heart of stone from your flesh, and give you a heart of flesh. Put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes. And you will be careful to observe my ordinances. You will live in the land I gave to your forefathers, so you will be my people and I will be your God. Jeremiah 31, we read earlier, verse 31, I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not like the one they broke, this is the covenant, Jeremiah 31 33, I will make with the house of Israel. I will put my law within them, and on their heart I will write it, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. Do you hear the relational language? The God enters into a new and different kind of relationship with you, with his people. And the first and necessary condition for that to happen is, For God to do that, the one who is light, the one who is good, is for Him to give this good gift of a new birth. To change something deep and profound inside of you. To take out the hard heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. To take away, or to give, put it this way, to give to your dead body new life. God comes with the Holy Spirit defibrillator and applies it. Boom. Some of us takes a couple shots. Boom! And your heart starts to beat when you were stone cold dead. Spiritually. God brings this new life. And as He brings that new life, He brings His Word, the Word of Truth, and now you go, wow, that makes sense. Now you go, I I like that. It's uncomfortable, and it requires some things of me, But it's what I want. It's sweeter to me than honey. And and I'm gonna pursue it. But that first step is necessary. So if you're here today and you're like, I really, I'm a Christian, but I don't really want much to do with the Bible or with God's people or with coming to church and listening to sermons or with any of those kind of things, right? I just want to live the way I want to live. Then you're probably not experienced. The new birth. So I'm not going to tell you, get born again. I'm going to tell you, come to the word of truth. Listen to what God is saying. Consider. This God of light, how are you going to draw near to Him? How are you going to approach Him? How are you going to please Him on that last day when we all appear before Him and the spotlight is, is, is open and upon us all and we just see it all and it's like there's nothing we can hide. Every single sin, every day of our lives, all the things that we did and we failed to do, all of the acts, uh, all the sins of commission and omission, in word, and thought, in deed. All of that coming together, thousands upon thousands, all laid bare by the bright light of God's truth shining upon us. What will you appeal to? And the simple answer is you have nothing to appeal to. Nothing. You are guilty. So where is the hope? Where is the endurance how do we carry on that, that the truth is right here? That God is good, He is light. There's no darkness. The same God gives goodness in the new birth and He gives this new relationship in the new covenant. That He says we can, we can have a relationship, not just now, God says, but for all of eternity You can even have a relationship beyond death itself because God Himself experienced that for you. Because as you put your confidence and faith in Jesus and what He has done in His goodness, achieving what you did not achieve, working for you while you were still His enemy, dying for you while you were still reveling in your sins, that if you will accept that truth... That God is causing you to be born again. God is entering into a relationship with you. And you will respond. You will be that first fruit. You will see this promise. And in fact, some of that will, will frustrate you because you'll see more and more, Just to, you'll, you'll understand more and more, wow, God is even holier than I thought he was. That the light is even brighter. And in fact, I am even Darker. And the gap just seems to grow and grow and grow. And that's where the wonder of it is that Jesus then grows even bigger to span that gap because God is that good. And he comes to you in the midst of your darkness and says, I want you with me. And there is no reason for that other than he is good. And he gives Good gifts. We are a a dark backdrop. Our hearts, a good backdrop for the beauty and wonder of God see his light and his goodness. But brothers and sisters, you're more than that. You're someone that he is sharing his goodness with and more and more transforming you. As you are more and more willing to open up your heart to acknowledge those dark places within and allow the light of God to shine in there more and more experiencing that forgiveness. Flawed, needing polishing, not the hero, not the star, but valuable and precious in God's sight. From that framework, from that place, You, you will shine the Sun is the light of, of, of our galaxy right of, of, of our universe here right around us I might be using the wrong words um, but there's the moon right reflecting that light that beauty that reflection that's you and I it's smaller it's lesser but it's valuable will you pray with me Lord Jesus give us hope in the midst of failures and brokennesses give us hope in the midst of temptations and struggles Give us hope in the midst of our flaws. Some of us see in ourselves so clearly. And the profound experience of our lives making us think we are unlovable. All darkness. Shine the light of your truth into those hearts. Expose the sin that's in there. Expose the selfishness. Expose the lies of the devil. Expose the beauty that is even more deeper and profound. Because You made us. You gave us life to begin with. And in Your goodness, You give us new life. New birth a new relationship with you. Give us that hope that as we look even more at James and the commands that come, we might more and more see that you are the God who gives greater grace. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.